This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Hello, and welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Madsplainers feature. I'm Abby Becker, local government reporter for the Capital Times, and this week I'm talking to K-12 reporter Scott Gerard about his latest cover story. Parents and their children are navigating the first weeks of virtual learning in Madison, and it's not been easy, especially for students with disabilities. While all families had to adjust to the rapidly changing school plans, parents of students with specialized learning plans and therapies have had to fill multiple roles. And many students with disabilities lost progress in the months at home as their routines were disrupted and the district struggled to adapt their individualized education programs to a virtual environment. Today, Scott and I are talking about how the pandemic has affected families of the nearly 4,000 MMSD students with disabilities since schools closed March 13th. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. So there's been a lot of decisions about Madison Metropolitan School District students returning to school. Can you walk us through this timeline of when Madison schools closed and opened and the various public health orders in between? Absolutely. So it takes us back to March. And uh, on Friday, March 13th, uh, actually, the school district, before any outside news came in, the school district had uh, convened a meeting and adjusted its schedule, was adding a week to spring break uh, to sort of give itself time to plan. So it was uncertain exactly how long the closure would be or what that would look like. Moments before the news conference to sort of explain details of the schedule change. The governor ordered all schools across the state closed by the Wednesday of the following week. And then two days after that, on a Sunday, public health officials here at the local level in Madison and Dane County ordered all schools closed immediately. As of that Sunday order, schools were closed in Dane County. School buildings were closed. Uh, From that point on, some districts pivoted very quickly to virtual learning. Others, like Madison, took uh, those couple weeks that had been planned for spring break uh, and sort of set up a new system and an entirely new learning environment. Uh, So that began in early April and lasted through the end of the school year. Got pretty mixed reviews overall. And then over the summer, uh, as sort of plans were coming together and people were watching how the pandemic was going to play out, Uh, In late July, the district announced an entirely virtual start to the school year, and that'll last through at least the first quarter, so the end of October. About a month after the district's announcement, public health came out with an order that closed all schools uh, for grades 3 through 12, and that initially just allowed for no in-person interaction whatsoever. Uh, An amendment to that order about a week and a half later created an exception for some students with disabilities. And that was a pretty key thing uh, related to the story here that I have coming out this week. Uh, And of course, the whole order is currently on a stay uh, as some challenges to it by private school parents and schools and membership groups uh, with the state Supreme Court are playing out and the court put a stay on the order. So some schools, uh, mostly private and lower grades and some public schools are back in person now. How did the sudden closure in the spring and then the subsequent back and forth of public health orders affect parents and their children with disabilities? 
Yeah, I mean, for many families, they just faced a tremendous challenge. Uh, these students uh, receive therapies, have one-on-one opportunities with staff members, uh, social interactions, uh, work experiences. So the the closure really put a halt to a lot of that in the spring. And, you know, district officials and, and school staff, special education assistants tried to continue what they could of those IEPs, uh, which sort of outlined the the items that students can receive in school in addition to the general education things, uh, some of the support services they can receive. But a lot of it ended up falling on parents. You know, I, I think for general parents of, of all kids in the district, you know, they became uh, at home, you know, helping foster education this spring in, in an unprecedented environment as teachers in the district were adjusting to virtual learning. But for parents of students with disabilities, it often also meant uh, leading therapies, uh, receiving guidance via Zoom from a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. Uh, it meant challenges with some of these students just uh, can't pay attention to a Zoom meeting for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. Some are nonverbal, which means, you know, what communication are they really having via Zoom? So it presented a lot of challenges for these families and parents had to adapt. And then sort of as the summer played out, that initial order for public health that didn't include exceptions for students with disabilities was pretty significant. Uh, The district had been planning on allowing some students to come back for in-person instruction on a limited basis for students with IEPs, those that really needed it, again, those that maybe are nonverbal or really can't focus on a Zoom for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. So without that exception, it meant that planning was on pause. Uh, So that was a stressful few weeks for parents and district staff because they had been working this summer with that plan in mind. So I know the amendment to the order was very welcomed by a lot of parents and district staff who were glad to be able to offer more toward reaching IEP goals. Now that school is back in session, are parents feeling a sense of relief about having a plan? It varies from parent to parent and family to family and what is being provided to their students. Uh, So I think those that have been able to send their uh, child back for some in-person instruction uh, are very happy about that. And the the parents I spoke with whose children are in that group uh, said they were just so excited to see people be back at that building, feel that sense of routine. Um, In a lot of ways for some of those students, trying to do work at home is is a challenge. They, in their mind, separate school and home. And so joining those places together didn't always make sense to them. So being able to be back in that building is very significant. But it's still certainly not the same as being entirely in person with everyone, right? There's still, there's not necessarily all of the social benefits uh, that are that are very important for all students. And then you have the students with IEPs who are not going back in person um, at all. Again, it it's pretty limited for public health reasons and trying to really focus instruction and target that. But that means a lot of students with IEPs are not back in person. And so a, a couple parents I spoke with of students in those situations are pretty nervous about how it's going so far and feel pretty overwhelmed. The district overall increased the amount of live instruction this fall compared with where it was in the spring. And that was really based on feedback it received from a lot of families in the spring. But what that causes is, again, for these kids who maybe can't focus for as long or 
uh, just are at a different level than their peers in their learning, it, it's a very tough environment to be. And so doing that for the full school day uh, is very tough. It's a, you know, there's different ways of getting one-on-one therapies and things like that. But it's, it's been a challenge for, for everyone, I think, so far. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. Can you tell us about some of the situations that students and their families are in and what their school day looks like now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's one example, a a kindergartner who actually, uh, she's mentioned pretty prominently in the story, but she would have actually been at home no matter what, uh, with or without a pandemic. Uh, Her disability causes some respiratory susceptibility. And so she was likely going to be at home and she's there anyway. But because of the pandemic, the district isn't willing or able to send an aide into their home. And normally she would have a student aide who is helping guide her through the instruction that's happening on the screen, uh, helping her with the computer that she can use her eyes to communicate with. And so what that has left her family to is it's her parents and two nurses that they pay for themselves to take care of her and provide that aid, even though, uh, you know, as her mother told me, those nurses aren't student aides. They're not there for education. They're there for health needs. And so that's been very challenging for them early on. You know, and again, she's a kindergartner. Uh, Her mom did tell me one thing she was glad about, actually, is that she's a kindergartner because she doesn't have expectations of what, quote, big girl school is like yet. And so she's just sort of operating as it is, but it's a lot of stress on that family. Um, Another family I spoke with has a daughter uh, who's in second grade and has cerebral palsy, and her mother had to just take over all of the roles, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, all of those things while in the house, and she was one who told me uh, she's feeling overwhelmed in the early weeks right now, uh, and she's not sure how the year will play out as far as how much of the general education classes her daughter will end up attending, just because of the stress it takes on her daughter, the time they need to spend doing therapies, things like that. So th- they're still sort of navigating what the year is going to look like. Another family I spoke with of a middle schooler who is actually going in person, he just started last week going in person and he'll go for two hours a day, four days a week. And uh, his mom told me that he woke up at 1am the morning before his first day back because he was just so excited and that he ran into the building when she dropped him off. And uh, so they are, they feel a sense of relief about him being able to go in person. Uh, Another family of a fifth grader told me that their son with autism in the spring had some trouble again, with that doing work at home concept. And that created some emotionally challenging moments for the whole family. And so he's back in person for brief times each week. And uh, his father just said that it's an emotionally healthier situation for their whole family. And they're really relieved to have that opportunity. Now, one local attorney raised some legal questions about how the school district handled services for students with disabilities. What are the concerns there? Yeah, so services for students with disabilities are protected under federal law. 
So uh, federal law entitles students with disabilities to a free and appropriate education, or a FAPE, as it's known. And basically, it requires students to be progressing toward goals that are outlined in their IEPs and toward the applicable standards. So in the spring, with the sudden shift to virtual, uh, some of the things that are in these IEPs, which are legal documents, weren't able to be implemented. And so the district sent parents uh, what's called a prior written notice, sort of outlining what IEP services it would provide and which ones it it couldn't during the spring. Uh, So a local attorney told me he believes that broke the law because in some cases they didn't consult with parents before making those changes, which impacted an IEP, which is an agreed upon document by a team of school staff and families. Um, and so he, he questioned the unilateral decision that was made there. Uh, the district, you know, when I asked them uh, to respond to that, uh, the, the director of student services told me, you know, he, he believed staff tried their best to involve parents in those conversations, but acknowledged that there probably were some that parents were not a part of those conversations. Um, and he, you know, felt that staff did the best they could given the situation. But as as that local attorney told me, you know, it the the goals are there. You know, he he believes the district you know wanted to provide services, but he questioned the way that they went about making some of those changes and the conversation, the lack of conversations that happened. So what will you be watching for next on this topic? I think it's just following how uh, the year progresses. um, And if they expand uh, in-person service offerings, if the whole student body moves back to in-person, what does that look like? You know, some, for some of these students, one of the considerations is they can't necessarily wear a mask for a long period of time. And so when you get back uh, with everyone in the building, how does that work? And what does that look like? And, you know, there's just so many questions out there right now about what next steps are. I don't think much will change before mid-October uh, because that's when the district's going to start looking at whether they'll bring anyone back for in-person uh, after the first quarter. So at that point, uh, I'll probably do another check-in to to see how they're handling students with disabilities and how families are doing. It's they're They're facing a lot of challenges right now. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, No, I just really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about this story. Well, thanks for being on the show, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Scott, who's been with the Cap Times for just over a year. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Mattsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening. And don't forget to leave a review. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, which is all about food and dining in Madison, and Wedge Issues, which is all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.